So today we'll continue with First Thessalonians. So we'll uh, continue with chapter four. So last week we considered uh, chapter three, where we saw that Paul had a great uh, love and he also had great concern for the church uh, that he established in Thessalonica. And we saw that uh, since he was not able to go personally, he sent uh, Timothy uh, to check uh, on their welfare. And the report that he received from Timothy was very uh, positive. Uh, Timothy reported that they were growing in the Lord and they also had a great desire to reconnect with Timothy, uh, sorry, with Paul. So Paul was very excited that, uh, that they were not only growing spiritually, but they also enjoyed the same bond that, or love that Paul had uh, for them. And finally, we closed with Paul's prayer uh, at the end of chapter three. Uh, which again shows uh, Paul's love for the church and his concern for uh, other believers. And we also saw that how Paul is really excited when other believers are growing in the Lord. And that should be our attitude also, that we should be excited and not jealous when others are growing uh, spiritually. And Paul has many prayers uh, in the epistles. And we see that uh, his prayers are always focused uh, on the spiritual growth uh, of believers, and that is what we saw uh, in chapter three. And today we'll continue with uh, chapter four, uh, where Paul focuses on a few uh, important things. And he picks up on the prayer that he prayed in chapter three. So this can be seen as a continuous uh, exhortation that kind of builds uh, on the prayer that he did in chapter three. So we can divide it into four parts. The first uh, eight verses, we can focus on sanctification. And the second, uh, nine and 10, uh, the love for others and personal conduct in 11 and 12. <clears throat> and 13 through 15 uh, would be the return of Christ. So there are many questions and we'll get back to some of these uh, as we go along and read uh, verses one through eight. So maybe uh, someone can read uh, one through eight and we'll take a look at some questions and points. Furthermore, then uh, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as we have received offers how we ought to walk and to please God, so he would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that he should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath called us unto, God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Yeah, so uh, so when we went to go through this passage, the very first word that we see in chapter 4 uh, is uh, furthermore, uh, which means Paul is kind of continuing the thought uh, that he had in chapter 3. And we know that chapter 3 uh, ended with Paul's prayer for the Thessalonica church. And uh, he touched upon a few things uh, in his prayer. Uh, firstly, that he'll be able to meet them uh, in person. Uh, 
uh, not just for his personal needs, uh, but more importantly, he wanted to meet with them so that uh, he can minister uh, to their uh, spiritual needs. And secondly, uh, that they may increase and abound in love toward uh, one another and unto all men. So the focus uh, was on love towards uh, others. And verse 13, uh, he focuses on holiness and the return of Christ. And as we go through chapter four, we see that Paul is kind of touching uh, on the same topics. Uh, he's touching on love. Uh, he's touching on holiness or sanctification. And he's touching on the famous uh, topic that we often read uh, towards the end of chapter four uh, that speaks uh, about the return of Christ. So we'll, uh, God willing, we'll go through the first uh, 10 verses. So uh, in verse one, he says, uh, furthermore, uh, then he goes on to say, I exhort you and I beseech you. So in a sense, Paul is uh, pleading uh, with the believers uh, in his writing. Uh, he's not only encouraging them uh, in terms of what he's going to say next, uh, but he's also kind of uh, requesting them, he's beseeching them, he's believe, uh, uh, telling them. And the focus is uh, how they ought to walk uh, and to please God. So those are two uh, important uh, lessons, uh, even in our own life. Uh, as we read through the scriptures, uh, it teaches us uh, how we should walk uh, this walk our Christian journey, and our walk uh, should be a walk that will uh, eventually uh, please God. And in chapter four, uh, Paul is going to touch upon some critical things uh, that uh, in the light of which uh, we can examine our own walk, and we can also see whether our walk uh, is pleasing God. And Paul's uh, ultimate result or the outcome that he's looking for is that uh, if you're able to walk, and if you're able to uh, please God, uh, you will tend to abound more and more, or in a way, uh, you will have a life uh, that is abundant, uh, it is rich, and it is an overflowing spiritual life. So that is Paul's desire for the church. Uh, even though uh, the church uh, seemed to be doing well, uh, they were good about many things, as we touched upon in one chapters 1 through 3. Uh, but Paul's desire is that they should not uh, stagnate, uh, they should not reach a point where they say they are content uh, with their spiritual life, but he wants them to abound uh, more and more. And we read in John 4.29, uh, that was also the goal of Jesus Christ, that he always uh, did those things uh, that pleased God. And that should be our goal also uh, when we are living our Christian life. Uh, every decision that we make, uh, every choice that we make, uh, should be uh, seen through that lens, uh, whether it is going to ultimately please God or not. And if it pleases God, as Paul says, uh, it would lead to a spiritual life, uh, which is more abundant, uh, which is more rich. And we also read in the Bible that Noah and Enoch, uh, they walked uh, with God. And we know that because of their walk with God, uh, they were also blessed. Uh, with great uh, revelations, uh, they were blessed with favor of God, and we know that Enoch was uh, lifted up. Uh, he didn't really die. He just walked with God, and he walked uh, directly into God's presence. So that gives us an image. Uh, Enoch uh, gives us a picture that if you walk with God, uh, it it lifts us up 
uh, in God's presence uh, when we are spiritually maturing. And in verse two, uh, it says, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, uh, which tells us that maybe uh, it is not a new teaching. Uh, Paul was uh, with these believers uh, for a few weeks. And in those few weeks, uh, it looks like he taught them a lot uh, of the teachings. And when he comes to chapter four, uh, it seems like uh, he's reminding them of something that he has already taught them before. And oftentimes when we are sitting in church, uh, we tend to, oftentimes we are reminded of the same things and we may think why there is so much uh, repetition. And one of the reason is simply that we tend to forget uh, what we hear. Uh, so it's good to be reminded uh, over and over again, how we should walk and how we should please God. And also we are reminded because oftentimes uh, we are not really obeying. We may be hearing a lot of things we may be hearing the same things uh, every Sunday or every week, but we're not really practicing, which means uh, we still need to hear that word uh, so that uh, it eventually becomes a part of our life. And we are able to walk uh, in a way that is uh, pleasing uh, to the Lord. And in verse three, uh, he reminds us uh, what is the will of God. Uh, even your sanctification, that you should abstain uh, from uh, fornication. So he touches on an important uh, a discipline uh, in our life, which is uh, sanctification, which is uh, to be set apart, or, or to be holy and pure, or to be separated uh, completely uh, for the Lord. And in this context, uh, it could be in the context of relationship, uh, where you are set apart, you're made holy uh, for your spouse or for your uh, partner. So that picks up on a theme that we see uh, throughout the scriptures, uh, starting with the Old Testament, uh, that we should be uh, holy. And, uh, and as we uh, saw a couple of weeks back, that uh, we are justified and we are made holy through the work on the cross. So that is the uh, positional holiness or positional uh, justification uh, that we enjoy, uh, that the righteousness of Christ uh, is imputed to us, uh, which gives us the boldness uh, to stand uh, in the uh, presence of God. But Paul's focus uh, in chapter four uh, is uh, what I would say is practical holiness and God expects uh, holiness in all areas of our life. Uh, he expects us to have uh, different uh, standards in all areas of our life. Yeah, so it could be what we see, uh, it could be how we speak, it could be what we think, uh, it could be what we hear, and it could also be uh, what actions we are doing uh, throughout our life. So that is the main uh, emphasis here where Paul is focusing on uh, what is uh, God's will? So it is something that is very black and white. Uh, it is not something that is a gray area. Uh, the Bible is very clear that uh, we should be, once we are saved, uh, we should continue in the path of sanctification and we should be uh, set apart to be holy and pure. So uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 through 16, uh, it reminds us that holiness uh, should be a part of our life. And it says, as obedient children, 
uh, not uh, fashioning ourselves according to the formal lust uh, in your ignorance. So there was a time when uh, we were living a life of sin and our lifestyle was different uh, because we were living in ignorance. But now the Lord has uh, brought us to the light. And since he has brought us to the, to the light, uh, he expects a different standard. Uh, he expects a different uh, lifestyle uh, when he looks at us. So Peter goes on to say, but as, he's, uh, as he which has called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. So here uh, he's touching about upon conversation, but of course uh, we need to be holy in all uh, areas of our life. So the question for us uh, is when people look at us, when they observe us uh, in terms of how we are speaking, how we are uh, thinking or how, what type of actions or how we are doing different things, uh, would they observe holiness uh, in our conversation and in our lifestyle? Or would they see the same things that they see in the world? So as believers, uh, we have been chosen uh, to be a peculiar people, which means uh, we should stand out uh, in the crowd. Uh, we should be a light uh, in the darkness. But if we are also living a dark life, uh, we would simply uh, uh, we would simply be absorbed uh, in the world. There would be no difference uh, between a Christian and a non-Christian. So uh, that is a challenge for each one of us. Uh, when we are interacting in the community of unbelievers, uh, people should be able to pick up on us uh, that there is something different uh, about us. Uh, they may not call it holiness. They may not call it uh, sanctification, uh, but they should be able to see that we are different uh, from the crowd. And when they ask us uh, why we are different, then that is when we have the opportunity to tell them that there was a time we were also living uh, in ignorance uh, we were living like the people of this world, uh, but since uh, we have been saved, the Lord has called us uh, to a different lifestyle and a different way of living. So uh, this is uh, God's will, uh, which means uh, we really cannot uh, negotiate with God's will. Uh, we cannot bargain uh, with God's will. And if you're going to negotiate or bargain uh, with God's will, uh, then we are simply uh, disobeying God. So oftentimes uh, we tend to compromise, uh, which, which ends up being uh, disobedience uh, in God's eyes. So when God says clearly that this is my will, uh, we really don't have to uh, question it. Uh, we really don't have to ask, uh, debate that issue. So that's given to us in very black and white. And if we choose to uh, ignore it, or if we choose to disobey it, uh, Paul goes on in this chapter to tell us uh, what would be the consequence or what would be the impact of disobedience. So uh, as we said, uh, holiness, uh, when we think of holiness, uh, it is in all areas of our life, and that is God's will for all believers. And here Paul is going to apply the standard of holiness uh, in the area of sexual uh, behaviors, and, he, uh, and when we read the scriptures, uh, it is clear that uh, sexual immorality is a sin, uh, not only against our own bodies, uh, but it's also a sin against the Holy Spirit. And it is also uh, damaging to the other person 
uh, who is in that relationship. So by uh, indulging in, uh, in a behavior that is not uh, prescribed uh, by the scriptures, uh, we not only harm ourselves, but we also grieve the Holy Spirit and we also bring losses uh, to the other person. So no matter how we look at it, uh, it would be a decision that would lead to a bad outcome uh, at the end. So it may be something uh, that is exciting in the short term. Uh, it may be something that uh, the world is doing on a regular basis. But as God's children, we need to uphold to a higher standard, knowing what the outcome is going to be and knowing what is the long-term uh, consequence and also to knowing that it is something that is inconsistent uh, with the scriptures. So, so this is a familiar uh, verse uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. Uh, we'll just read this. So let's, yeah, maybe someone can read uh, 15 through 20. Know ye not that your bodies are the... Go ahead. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What yeah. know ye not? Okay, so here Paul is starting up uh, with the relationship. And he's saying how that relationship is going to form. And if the relationship is not approved by God, then he is saying that we are connecting with the harlot. And that is uh, forbidden by the scriptures. It is forbidden by God. Uh, it is not pleasing in the eyes of God. Yeah, yeah continue. But, but. What know ye not that which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committed the fornication sinneth against his own body. What, uh, what uh, know ye not that your body is a temple of a Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Yeah. Okay, so here, which is also in 1 Corinthians, which is also written by Paul, uh, Paul is reminding us uh, very clearly that if you are committing uh, fornication or if you are indulging in uh, any kind of intimate relationship that is outside of marriage, uh, you're sinning against your own body and you're grieving uh, the Holy Spirit. But our goal in life is that we should always uh, glorify God uh, in our body. And the reason for that is God has bought us uh, with a price. Uh, when we say that we are Christians, uh, when we say that we are born again, uh, the reason uh, we are born again is because Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he paid the price for us uh, on the cross of Calvary. So our goal should be to glorify God uh, with our body, and in our, in our spirit, which belong to God. So uh, the rules uh, that we see in the scriptures are very simple. Uh, if you are married, the Bible says we should be faithful uh, to our spouse. And any kind of relationship that is outside of a married, uh, marriage or outside your spouse uh, would be considered uh, uh, adultery or it is something that is not acceptable in the Lord's size. And if you are single, uh, the rule is simple. We should abstain 
uh, from any kind of immoral behavior or we should abstain from uh, any kind of intimate uh, relationships or any kind of uh, fornication. So those are two rules uh, that are given to us uh, in black and white uh, in the scriptures. And anytime we violate uh, these rules, uh, it would lead to problems uh, in our life. Uh, it would lead to problems uh, in the life of the other person. And obviously uh, it also grieves uh, the Holy Spirit. And many of the uh, problems uh, that we see uh, in today's society uh, among those who are married and also those who are single are, are oftentimes caused by uh, mistakes that are made uh, in a relationship uh, where you cross the line, uh, which is uh, defined to us uh, very clearly in the scriptures. So uh, we are asked to pursue uh, sanctification or holiness uh, in our behavior and to abstain from uh, any kind of fornication or any kind of sexually uh, immoral behavior. But at the same time, uh, we read in uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 13 and verse four, it says, uh, marriage is uh, honorable in all and the bed is undefiled, but warmongers and adulterers uh, God will judge. So in this verse, uh, we see that uh, on the one hand, uh, the Lord is celebrating marriage uh, as something that is honorable because it's taking place uh, between a man and a woman or a husband and a wife uh, who are committed to each other uh, in a covenant uh, relationship. But at, in the same verse, uh, Paul is condemning uh, any relationship that takes place uh, outside that covenant uh, relationship. And also in Exodus, it says, uh, we shall not commit uh, adultery. So we see that uh, any kind of intimacy is, uh, is permitted only uh, in a marriage, marriage context. And in today's society, we also have to define that marriage is between a man and a woman and homosexuality uh, is not considered marriage uh, in God's eyes. And in verse four, uh, he goes on to say that every one of you should know how to possess uh, his vessel in sanctification and honor. So vessel itself could mean uh, different things, uh, but if we consider the vessel uh, as our body, uh, we should uh, possess that vessel or the body that the Lord has given us uh, in sanctification and in honor, which means it should be kept holy and it should be kept uh, honorable. So, so our body can be seen as our vessel, which holds uh, something uh, very precious, uh, which is the uh, Holy Spirit as a gift. Uh, it is given to us and it resides uh, in our body. So uh, it is our responsibility uh, to keep that uh, body where the temp Holy Spirit dwells uh, in a way that is honorable, uh, in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. So our bodies uh, belong to the Lord and we were created uh, for his pleasure as we read in Revelation 4.11. What else uh, could the vessel refer to? Like in the scriptures, what else could the vessel refer to besides our body? Uh, in this context, uh, maybe the body makes the most uh, sense because Paul is talking about uh, fornication and mm -hmm. any kind of relationship. But we also see in the scriptures uh, that uh, our wives are also regarded as a vessel in 1 Peter 3.7, uh, where we are told to honor our wife 
as the weaker vessel. And it goes on to say that if we don't do that, our prayers uh, will be hindered or there is a cause to not honoring our wives as the weaker vessel. And also when we went through the book of Daniel, we saw that the holy vessels uh, were being used uh, in the celebration, uh, which was not correct. And uh, the holy vessels are again kept holy. They are kept for a special occasion. Uh, in the same way, the Lord has designed our bodies and they should be kept uh, holy and they should be uh, set apart as the Lord wants it to be. And verse five uh, goes on to tell us that uh, as believers, uh, we don't have any excuse. Uh, the Gentiles, uh, they have the excuse of ignorance, uh, as it says in verse five, uh, not as the Gentiles, which know not God. So people who do not know God, uh, people who do not know the teachings of the Bible, uh, they may continue to live a life of sin. Uh, they may continue to live a life which is morally incorrect. Uh, they may continue to live a very loose uh, lifestyle. Uh, but as believers, uh, we don't really have any excuse because the Lord has told us clearly uh, what should be our standard. So, so if we do sin, uh, as we often remind on Sunday before communion, that we must uh, immediately confess and forsake our sinful ways. So if you're born again, uh, we will definitely know uh, when we are sinning. Uh, we will definitely know uh, when we are broken uh, the law of God, uh, we would know when we have grieved the Holy Spirit. And so we should uh, immediately confess and forsake our sinful ways. And God, who is rich in mercy, uh, he is able to forgive all our sins, uh, including uh, the moral failures. And we see that uh, in the life of David, uh, when he repented uh, sincerely, uh, he was reconciled back uh, in his relationship with God. And the Bible also says uh, he, uh, he recovered everything or everything that he lost uh, was restored. And the same thing is possible in our life. So we see that many uh, Christians or many uh, believers, uh, they also tend to fall into this trap or they fall into the sin of sexual uh, immorality. And if that is the case, uh, it does not mean that the, the Lord is going to condemn us uh, forever. Uh, the Lord is not going to reject us, but since God is rich in mercy, uh, if we go back to him and if we confess, uh, he will definitely forgive and give us a fresh start. So obviously the Lord knows uh, everything. Uh, he knows our thoughts. Uh, he knows the intents of our heart. And uh, so there's really nothing we can hide uh, from the Lord. We can hide from everyone else. Uh, but the most important thing is that our relationship with the Lord should always be uh, correct and we should always be in communion with him. And if you're living in sin, uh, that is not possible. Uh, so we need to confess and set things right. And in verse 6, uh, it reminds us that the Lord will also avenge uh, the wrongdoers. Uh, and in this context, uh, the wrongdoing could be, uh, I think it could be uh, any kind of abuse uh, that takes place uh, in a relationship. So it could be uh, adultery in a Christian marriage, or it could be like we have seen many news reports of uh, sexual abuse uh, taking place by people 
uh, who are in position of authority, or it could be rape and incest or any kind of immoral thing. And if that happens, uh, we know our God is just and he will avenge uh, the loss or any kind of fraud that takes place uh, in any relationship. Okay, so uh, verse seven, uh, again, kind of repeats the same thing. Uh, for the Lord, God has not called us unto uncleanness, uh, but unto holiness. So that's the message that Paul is trying to uh, teach us uh, in the first part of chapter four, that God's will uh, for each one of us uh, is to live a life that is separated uh, from the world and to live a life that is holy and live a life that is uh, sanctified and pure and pleasing to the Lord. So when we live a life of holiness, uh, such a life is pleasing to the Lord and it will take us to greater uh, spiritual heights and it will also lead to greater uh, spiritual maturity and it will make us uh, profitable in God's kingdom uh, for his glory. And verse 8 is where he closes uh, this section. Uh, he says that he therefore that despiseth, uh, despiseth not man, uh, but God. So when we continue to live a life of rebellion, when we continue to live a life of disobedience, uh, we are not really rejecting man, or we are not really rejecting the teachings of the church, uh, but we are rejecting God himself. So any sin that we commit, uh, is always uh, against God first, uh, even though there might be other people involved uh, in that sin. But the, the first uh, sin that we are committing uh, is uh, against God. So that's why he says uh, you're rejecting God and not man. So the question for us is, why would you, we reject the one who sacrificed his life for us. So if we truly believe that Lord Jesus Christ uh, gave his life for us, uh, that was a very costly uh, sacrifice. Uh, that was a very expensive act of love. And if you truly believe that that transaction took place, then uh, there is no reason for us uh, to disobey God. Uh, there is no reason for us not to do the things that he tells us to do. Uh, there is no reason for us uh, to displease God. So we want to please God uh, because uh, he loved us first. And the Bible says uh, we love him because he first uh, loved us. And so we don't want to quench the Holy Spirit or grieve the Holy Spirit that is within us. And any type of uh, rejection will have uh, consequences uh, of chastisement. So the Lord wants to bring us uh, back to him. Uh, just like the prodigal son, uh, he was brought back uh, to his father. But before he could be brought back, uh, he had to be chastised uh, outside home. So once he had learned the lesson, uh, he was able to come back uh, to his father. Uh, he was able to seek uh, forgiveness and everything was restored. And the same thing could happen in our life. Uh, we may drift away from God. And if that is the case, uh, there would come a point in our life when the Lord will uh, chastise us and he'll bring us to, uh, to the understanding that we have committed uh, something wrong and he will bring us back to him uh, with the spirit of. So we see that salvation uh, is a one-time uh, experience uh, when we confess our sins 
and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal savior. Uh, that is what we call the born again or the salvation experience. So that happens uh, in a moment uh, of time uh, in our life. But sanctification uh, itself uh, is a lifetime process uh, that continues to uh, purify us, uh, that continues to transform us uh, into the image of God. And that is how we attain uh, spiritual uh, maturity. So we want to continuously grow in the Lord. And the only way we can grow in the Lord is by continually uh, separating ourselves uh, from the world and to live a life that is holy and to walk in a way uh, that is pleasing to God. And we often quote uh, Acts 2.42. And if you're faithful to these four things uh, that we uh, try to teach and also practice, which is to stay in the word, uh, take part in the communion uh, regularly and with a, with a clear conscience and to have the discipline of prayer and fellowship with like-minded believers. So if these four things are present in our life, uh, if these four things are abounding in our life, uh, it will help us uh, a great deal uh, to live a life of sanctification. But if you're living a life of isolation away from uh, believers, uh, if we do not have any uh, discipline in our prayer life, and if you're not really reading the word uh, regularly, and meditating on it and practicing, uh, or if you're taking part in the communion as a tradition uh, with no self-examination, with no confession, then uh, we would be not growing in the Lord and we would not be living a life that is set apart. So uh, sanctification itself uh, cannot be achieved by just uh, following some plan or by trying to use our willpower like we often do uh, by making resolutions at the beginning of the year. Uh, so if you want to continue on the path of sanctification, uh, it should be inspired uh, by our love for the Lord and giving him a preeminence uh, in our life. So Paul says uh, he was compelled uh, to do the things that he did uh, because he loved the Lord. And unless we reach a point where we truly love the Lord, and we give him the highest uh, place in our life, uh, we won't be uh, starting our journey of sanctification. And the sanctification itself uh, is not something we do with our willpower. Uh, it is by the grace of God, and so it is powered by the Holy Spirit, uh, which enables us uh, to live a life that is holy, which enables us uh, to live a life that is pleasing unto the Lord. And in verses uh, 1 through 8, uh, Paul touches upon the Trinity, the God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we can say that uh, when we live a life of sanctification uh, or holiness, uh, it is something that honors and pleases uh, Trinity. So we see that the secret <clears throat> of blessing in our life uh, is when we know and do God's will, uh, it would lead to heavenly blessings. So we'll take a pause here and see if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, additional insights here. So this obviously applies to all areas of our life when God reveals uh, what his will is, whether it is for our personal life or church life, or whether it's for our job or anything else. 
And when we obey that will, uh, that is when we experience uh, true blessings of the Lord. So when will it end? When will the process of sanctification end? We know that it starts after salvation. So when does it end? Until we meet him. Until we meet him, right? So it's not going to end uh, in this lifetime, so to speak. Uh, so it's a continuous process. So we really don't become perfect uh, in this lifetime. So as brother said, uh, when we meet the Lord, uh, that is when our sanctification is complete. And the Bible says uh, he's going to present uh, each one of us uh, spotless. So at that point, uh, we would be spotless. Uh, we would be completely pure. Uh, we would be holy uh, because of the work uh, he has done in our life. And 9 and 10, uh, Paul gets into the second uh, subject uh, just very briefly. Uh, he talks about love. Yeah, maybe someone can read 9 and 10. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you for you yourself have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do, have, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Okay, so here Paul is uh, touching upon something that they are already doing. So he's saying that uh, they've been already taught uh, about love, uh, but he's asking them that uh, they should increase uh, more and more. So that is the teachings uh, of Paul uh, in the first Thessalonians. Uh, his desire is that the believers uh, should excel uh, in everything that they are doing. So he knows that there is already much love uh, among the believers uh, in the church, uh, but he wants that to increase uh, even more, uh, to strive uh, even for a higher standard. So if love is missing in a church, uh, what does it show and what will be the result? God is love, right? If we don't have love, means we don't have God. Yeah, so that's one way of looking at it. So because God himself is love, that's one of his highest attributes. And when we say that we love God, or we say that God is uh, in us, and if love itself is missing uh, within us, uh, it shows that there is a big hole or there is a big gap uh, our understanding. Whom course, should we love, brother? Sorry? Whom should we love? We should love God first, then he makes it possible to love others. Yeah. Um, uh, this is love your neighbor, right? Love your neighbor. Yes. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Like, who is our neighbor, brother? So the, those who come to the church, no, like every church or only our church or our neighbors? Like in this case, uh, as we read, uh, there was it in chapter three when you were praying mm -hmm. that uh, your love should abound uh, toward one another and toward all men, right? So he extends yeah. Uh, not only to believers, but to everyone, right? So yeah. that does not mean just the church, local church. It does not mean just believers in other churches. But when he says, love your neighbors, it also means loving your enemies. Uh, yeah. loving everyone, right? So that's a very high standard of love. And that is the standard of love that Christ uh, practiced uh, when he lived uh, in this world. And that is the standard of love that he is calling us to do. But we really cannot do that uh, unless we truly love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it is through the power of the Holy Spirit 
uh, that we are able to love uh, even those uh, in our own family, in our own church, and beyond. So, so the firstly, our relationship with the Lord should be correct, and it should be very intimate. And if that is missing, uh, it will show up in every other aspect of our life. Upgrading from sorry, yes, uncle. Going from uh, the Philly, that is the yeah, loving our brothers to agape love. Yeah, that is unconditional love. Unconditional, unconditional, mm -hmm. sacrificial, everything. Yes. And of course, if there is no love, we see that uh, oftentimes the church uh, will divide, which we have seen many times. Uh -huh. Love is a very important ingredient. Uh, as uncle often reminds us, uh, whether it's a family or a church or even a nation, if love is missing, uh, we would see many gunshots as we see in Philadelphia, right? So, yeah. yeah. Sometimes we have some uh, misunderstandings and yeah. you may not, uh, we may be angry with each other or dislike yeah. each other, but that is very important that uh, we should always forgive yeah. and forgive. Nothing, forgive. Uh, be like that as believers, but in any way not to have any, uh, you know, in our hearts sometimes. Because it says love covers many sins. Mm. Yes. Many shortcomings. Yes. <laughs> many shortcomings. Yeah. yeah. We all have shortcomings, so we have to close one eyes when we look at others. Yeah. So it is not easy to love others, brother. So that uh, in say, like we can say that uh, we should love everyone, but uh, it's not an easy task to love everyone. Yeah, it's not easy, yes. And we know that from experience, right? We don't have to look for evidence anywhere else. Uh, we can look at our own life and see how much we love others, uh, how much we love people in our own family, how much we love people in our own church how much we love strangers, how much we love enemies. And we would see that there are many shortcomings within our own life. Yes. So we are not able to rise uh, to that standard, right? So we know it is not easy. Only God can uh, enable us. Uh, only he can empower us uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But uh, I still go back to the same thing, that uh, the first commandment is to love God. That is why yeah. that is given as the first commandment and not the second commandment. So in school, we always go from first grade to second grade. So in the same way, uh, if we are faithful and sincere about the first commandment, then the other nine commandments are easier to follow. So, and we'll just close with this. We have 10 more minutes, uh, 11 and 12, if someone can read. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Yeah. Okay, so these are simple instructions. It's almost like uh, something that you would find uh, in the book of Proverbs. Uh, so Paul is uh, reminding us that we need to mind our own business uh, in the sense uh, we should not be gossiping or we should not be too curious yeah. about what's happening in others' life. And oftentimes we are curious uh, not because of the good things uh, happening in other people's lives. Uh, oftentimes we are curious because they might be making some mistakes or they might be doing some things wrong. And that is how uh, gossip starts and it starts moving. 
uh, through the circle and through different uh, avenues that we often see. So Paul is reminding us that we need to be uh, learn to be quiet. So it's a discipline uh, to be quiet and not to meddle in other people's business. And then he's teaching us that uh, we should not be lazy. Uh, we should not be uh, begging uh, if we have the capacity. God has given us the ability, then we should work uh, with our hands and we should be honest uh, in our dealings. Uh, when we do that, the Lord will provide for all of our needs. And that is something that Paul also practiced, uh, even though uh, he was in the ministry, uh, he often says that uh, he did not really depend on anyone. Uh, he, he also had his tent making profession and oftentimes people would uh, give him money or they would donate uh, for the service that he did. Uh, but for the most part, he was able to depend uh, on the Lord for all his needs. So that's also a lesson that we need to learn that we should not be dependent on uh, the government to support us. Uh, if the Lord has given us the ability to work and provide for our own needs, uh, then that is a simple uh, Christian principle that we should work and be. But there are times when maybe there is no jobs or maybe that's why they have the unemployment insurance and things like that. But Overall, the principle is we should work, be honest, and God will provide for us. Okay.